Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. What's going on, everybody? Today, I'm bringing a very special guest, Ezra Gentle. He's a friend. He's a brother from another mother. So what's going on, Ezra? What's going on, brother? What's up, dude? How are you? Good. Starting from this live, moving forward, instead of just bringing people on and just kind of talk about the general like hustle and, you know, what should be what should we be doing right or wrong? I want to start focusing on specific topics like attack, start attacking certain niches and things that can help you guys. And we're starting with Ezra. He's a filmmaker. He really does everything and does does it really well. He runs his own company called Skip, uh, Skip Rock Productions. Did I get it right? Yeah, yeah, Skip Rock Productions. Yes, so he runs his company. They offer services and uh, do promos for small businesses. And what I love about his business model is that it's very direct. It's not like where he's saying, oh, we can make feature films, we can make you know visual effects, this and that, we can do all these things. It's a very direct message. And that's why I was just so excited to bring Ezra on board because I feel like he brings in that director's vision, which is, you know, he's very decisive and he knows what he wants and he goes and attacks it. So Ezra, before um, any, you know, without any further ado, I just want you to take the floor and kind of introduce yourself and what we're going to be talking about today. Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, obviously we go way back, but I'm a huge fan of your whole mindset, your vision, your hustle, your grind. Uh, but most of all your craft I mean you're dedicated you. to your craft you're super good at what you do thanks bro and uh, you're a master of a lot of things but you know your color stands out above the rest yeah like you said I have a production company that specializes in small business promos uh, it's extremely niche so much so that I have to turn down work sometimes because <clears throat> it isn't what we do um, it is a model that is scalable it is an industry that will always have a need uh, and your client is literally every small business potential client so uh, you know I love it's it true. endless and unlimited I absolutely love it dude it's so true and it's it's just such a it's just such a smart thing because this is the best way not to just sustain but to thrive in what you love and then uh, also talk about your other side man you're a freaking director and you attack it so hard you just don't stop you just keep going so tell us a little bit about how it all started give me like a backstory but not necessarily a long form version you know kind of just like summarize it for for us like you know where does that drive and that passion comes from for you yeah i mean i think it started with watching movies growing up just seeing cinema and the behind the scenes stuff wanting to be a part of that so I started making films seriously about 11 years ago short films with my friends it started with my church and then eventually started doing more narrative stuff and getting more and more ambitious and it's just been one tiny success and large failure onto the next one and uh, you know I got the film bug a long time ago and it hasn't let go of me yet all right, Ezra, let's let's jump right in, man. I got some questions. So, you know, we asked people uh, what specifically they would want to ask. And I pretty much just took most of them and just brought it down to like 10 solid questions. Um, but the first thing that I do want to mention is that, you know, uh, you just uh, successfully funded, you know, your first feature. So I know we want to talk about short films, but I think you can, you know, tell us 
and uh, you know bring some of these things, tactics that you use to fund your feature into somebody's short film. So one of the questions that I have here is that, hey, is Kickstarter, Indiegogo a good way to fund your first feature? So obviously you're the right person to ask. Yeah, I mean, we just did a Kickstarter, and I mean, it's not a sh uh, for a feature, it's not a short, but they go hand in hand. I mean, I shot a two-minute teaser trailer that I used on the Kickstarter page, and we shot it like a short film. I shot 25 pages, shot the full scenes, we shot for three days um, for $1,000. We shot on a red. I didn't pay the actors. We just paid for crew, or we just paid for, like, travel and food. Didn't pay for all the stuff that people usually throw money at. And I used that to launch this Kickstarter to get that seed money for the feature film. Um, yeah, it's a good platform for it, um, but you have to be, like everything in life, willing to put in the work. If you think you can just throw up a campaign and you're magically going to hit your goal, that might be unrealistic. I mean, it takes usually three months of prep. Um, that's what I did in my first Kickstarter campaign. For this one, I had kind of been toying with the idea and I had a lot of pieces in place, obviously, like this, this trailer. Uh, I did three weeks of prep, which uh, you know, I don't recommend. Um, but it's a great way to get eyeballs on your project. If you do it in Indiegogo, where it's not all or nothing, if you get $2,000 instead of 20000 then, okay, well, maybe you kind of do the short version first. So, yeah, I mean, it's honestly a great place to start, but you do have your ducks in a row. So I want to ask you one thing. Let's just you know, go back a little bit and you said that, you know, you've done all that under $1,000. So you got your actors, you got your red cam and I'm sure locations, things like that. So how do you get a buy-in? Like how, how do people just go, sure, we'll do this for you. So what's that? I mean, it's vision. I think it comes down to a clear vision where there's vision, uh, where there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, and if you, don't have a vision or you don't have anything to motivate people, money's a good motivator. You know, everybody works for money. Uh, take that out of the equation. What is a motivator besides money? Vision, opportunity, adventure. Uh, I've heard you say before, you know, enough of the like um, credit and food like BS. I mean, that's no one's doing it for the credit. They're doing it because they know you. My case order was successful because those people knew me. They believed in me and my vision. And you know, the people who worked on my crew for free for that uh, trailer, they did it because they know and love me. And so I think it comes back to making movies with your friends. It sounds kind of simple and maybe cliche, but like those are the people you can go to battle with that you don't have to pay, that you can make something awesome you guys can all be proud of. Dude, I love this point and it's so important and I think people overlook it. Um, I always talk about like, you know, start with your power base, which is going to be you know, your friends and friends of friends and, you know, people that you know, your colleagues or whatnot. And I think we just overlook that whole part. And anytime I get this whole thing online where people are like, where do I get clients? And then my answer is that there's 7.7 .7 billion of them out there, you know? Um, so it's just, I don't understand this. And I feel like we tend to overcomplicate things as filmmakers. You know, we we tack these labels on ourselves that if I'm a filmmaker and if I'm a true filmmaker, then I need to work at, you know, Blockbuster or Hollywood, like the stores that don't exist anymore. But it's just like, you know, that mentality where I have to start from the bottom. I have to, you know, you know, just do couch surfing and things like that. And I feel like what you're talking about is just very, even when we talked about and you mentioned that, oh, it's easy. Like I knew people that had money and I think I told you then that, hey, that's why I want to talk to you about and ask you 
how do you get to know those specific people? You have to give them some sort of value, right? Like, I mean, you have to have something for them to go, sure. I mean, why, you know, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I want you to kind of touch base on that. And I feel like sometimes when a person is in that, they just go, duh, like that's just the way it is. But I feel like I need you to kind of think hard and, and understand like, what is it that Ezra has that, you know, gets those people with the money, like they're buying and they kind of go that, oh, that's cool. And then also, how do you build that sort of network? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to relationships. You have to have relationships with these people. Um, you know, the people that contributed to this Kickstarter, a lot of them contributed to my last Kickstarter, which was five years ago. Um, some of the bigger people who, um, you know, were involved and gave also gave to my last short film, Missionary Kids. And I got people to donate to that, which is an even harder sell because there's almost zero incentive to, to give someone money for a short film. There's almost rarely ROI. I mean, Alex Ferrari has different ideas how to monetize a short film. But for the most part, I got those donations because I showed them a short film that I did for $1,000, almost all by myself. And they saw that short film. And we already had a relationship, a friendship, where I didn't ask them for stuff all the time. Um, you know, we would have dinner and talk about their life and just the weather, whatever else. Um, so that relationship turned into, hey, look at this short film I just made, you know, poured my heart and soul into. Um, it's a true story. These guys are homeless on the streets. I just took their story and, uh, and put it into a narrative. Um, that got people excited. I used that momentum to get the you know the seven or eight thousand dollars for missionary kids um and then when that came out everyone was so stoked about it i have been working on my feature film for three years now trying to decide when to launch a kickstarter so many times i was like okay now's the time okay now i gotta wait i decided to and did the three weeks of prep because the response from missionary kids was so positive and overwhelming i thought you know what there's a wave of momentum and positivity coming that I have to ride it or it'll die. And then I'll have to rebuild that momentum again. And so it just, it comes back to relationships and meeting people, knowing people, being open and saying yes to, um, to friendships, not as a, let me get something out of this, but just as a give something to it, which is your thing. And then when it's their turn to give, maybe that looks like money. Since I'm, I'm part of, you know, I played a tiny part in your campaign. So I'm going to talk about from that perspective and what got me to kind of go, Hey, you know, I want to help you if I can. And that didn't come from because Ezra is an awesome dude. And, you know, we love Judah and, you know, <laughs> you know, you guys are awesome. That genuinely came from seeing your dedication because I also wanted to make a short film freaking since 2011 but that never happened so it's like you know life gets in the way and you're doing things whatever and when i see someone who's got all that handled along with you know their passion they're moving forward with it i have so much respect for it and what really sealed the deal is missionary kids so people first of all you know everybody who's listening you guys got to go check his account his page ezra gentle one word um and you know check it out and click on the links and just make sure you, you know, 
trickle into his Vimeo, whatever, and watch some of those short films. And Ezra, just remember at the end, just make sure to tell us where we can go to watch those films. But Missionary Kids was such an epic film. I watched it and it just, it's so true. It's so awesome. Like I wanted to skip through and kind of give you a thumbs up and support you. And like I started watching like the first minute, I'm like, hold on, what the hell? And then I watched like five minutes and I'm like, should I skip now? And I'm like, boom, boom, like, all, and then I finished it. And I'm like, dude, this is crazy. So as soon as you were working on, you know, your Kickstarter campaign, I was just like, hey, I want to help. So I think what that is um, from, from an outsider's perspective, this is what pure value is. You know, this is what that thing is where before you even open your mouth, people are ready. Um, so, you know, you build that by doing really great work and then, you know, being level-headed and having that um, tact, you know, as an individual. But, you know, ultimately it's going to be your skill. And then soft skills are very important too, but, you know, like your actual skills of doing that work and, you know, your, your short film was amazing. I want to take, what you know, um, another question from here. And somebody says, do you start to raise funds while writing the script or after you're completing or once you're completed, you know, the script? So when does that, you know, kind of ring a bell that do you start right away or is this something you're going to finish first and then start approaching people? I mean, if you can raise money without a script, then go for it. <laughs> so that's really going to be that. Is that going to be because you've done something in the past that's so badass that you go, hey, I'm going to make another film give me some money and people go, holy shit, this guy has done X, Y, and Z, you know, here he well, goes. Kickstarter, Kickstarter is a good example because no one's asking to read a script, you know? So it depends on what your definition of raise money is. But if you're talking about crowdfunding, then sure, you could crowdfund. I mean, to be honest, my script still isn't even done. We're doing rewrites um, after three years of working on it. So and I'm at a point where no one's asked to see it. No one's like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, invest or whatever. Um, but, you know, if it's something, and it's also a feature, like people just don't read features. They're so long. Right. Um, so if you have something that is like short, 15 pages or less, and it's going to make sense on a page and people can kind of get a sense for the theme, um, then yeah, you know, give it to someone that um, you've known for a year or more and say, hey, look, you know, I respect you. You have disposable income. Uh, would you consider reading my screenplay and helping contribute uh, at any amount that you have in mind for uh, making this and you're not going to get any money back? And um, they'll probably say yes and they'll probably give you $1,000. So, yeah, I mean, it helps out a script. But the other thing is, like, you know, if you can't get a script together, then, like, you probably shouldn't be taking anybody's money. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty general question, but what was the most expensive part of the shoot? So I guess, like, of the entire thing like usually what's the most expensive part when it comes to making short films it depends on if you're smart or not i mean if you're not smart the most expensive part can be your camera and lens package um you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know i i heard your live video with ben hess and you guys were talking about the things that matter location composition i think you guys both ranked camera as last yes uh, Get it together, guys. You don't need a red. You don't need Zeiss Super Primes or whatever. Cook anamorphics. You definitely don't need anamorphic. Um, <laughs> you know, someone, a professor, I think, told me a long time ago, put your money in front of the camera. Um, whatever you can, like That's actors, yes. production design, um, maybe it could be visual effects. You know, with this last short film, Missionary Kids, I paid the actors. Um, I was shooting in Oklahoma. 
So we had to fly out, and um, me and my producer, my DP, we shot on his Sony FS7, which he owned. He didn't get paid. Um, and we shot on my broken on lenses, yes. uh, which I don't have anymore, rip. But uh, the, the actors were probably, you know, one of the more expensive parts. And then my crew, which was like the art director um, and the grip and um, the sound person. And, uh, you know, it looks really authentic. It looks really legitimate. And it does. It has a very palpable, tangible, tactile quality on screen. And a lot of that's the freaking actors. I mean, you know, people will talk. There's so much content produced that when bad acting and bad writing pop up, people will turn off in a second. Yes. They'll probably turn off with bad acting before bad writing because yes. a good actor can carry bad writing a little bit. Um, so if you have the money, you know, to pay an actor $125 a day, that isn't a lot of money to you or to anybody, but to an actor, that's the difference in getting someone who is really probably pretty good and someone who's blow it for you yes that's 100 man i couldn't agree more because you kind of have to think about these things not just from where you can get the best deal but what's best for your product you know for your film and you have to think about that right like i mean sometimes when i'm making these tutorials on you know uh, color grading tutorials sometimes i just don't have the footage that you know the inspiration or whatever i'm going for so um, I will sign up to these stock footage places and you know how expensive they are. I mean, one shot can be $200 and I'm paying it to get it and then make a video and put it on YouTube and it's for educational purposes, so I'm allowed to use it. But I just spent $200 and I'm not getting any return on that. Like on YouTube, you know how it is. Like, I mean, if I make like five bucks, that, that, that'll be a lot, you know? So it's like, I'm just doing it because I know the long-term ROI on that and what I'm trying to create. So I'm, I am betting on myself and I feel like a lot of the people out there, um, it will start with you believing in your product. You know, the amount of people that I meet that are just like, I hate selling. And then they just think that even going and approaching someone for their film is selling. So they're not going to do it. That just simply means that you're not sold on it. That just simply means that if you don't believe in it, why the hell will I believe in it or anyone else? So if you, if you own it, then you sell it. It's not hard, you know? I sell iPhone to people all day long, and that's not even mine. I mean, that's Apple's. But I sell it like I freaking mean it. Like, you know, I have stocks in Apple, and I don't. But I'm just saying, when you believe in something, then if it's yours, whether it's your service or whether it's your product, why wouldn't you just go out there and just freaking tell them how you feel about it, you know? Yeah, um, totally just a little off tangent. I don't know why I went there, but I just wanted to kind of like, you know, bring that out because I hear, I hear it from people so much that they're just like, you know, I want to do this. I don't know where to start. And it's like, that's where you start. Ezra, let's break it down and talk specifically. Okay. So you, you, what I'm trying to do is that, you know, right now, I think we're still kind of talking. We're still kind of living in the cloud. I kind of want to break it down to bullet points you got an idea, you want to make a 10 minute short film. Um, you have one month in your head, that's the timeline. You want to attack it, um, whether you hire your friends or not, ex like just literally bullet points, you know, how do you approach it when it comes to location scouting, 
what is it? Is there a Craigslist of location scouting? I don't know because I don't make short films. So I'm asking you. In, there in, there in, is, but you know, it depends on depends on the budget. I mean, there's a Peerspace.com, which is the Craigslist of location scouting. It's more like uh, Airbnb or ShareGrid for shooting locations, but you're gonna have to pay for them. Um, what's the budget? Can we say the budget's a thousand dollars? Let's say that. Yep. A thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money until you start to try to make a short film. And then you can basically assume that that's going to pay for food for three meals for two days for a crew of less than 10, probably around five to seven. Um, that will get you a rental of like, let's say a sound kit. You know, I made my short film, LA Love You, about for a thousand dollars. And um, we rented a sound kit because it costs a thousand dollars just for a sound person. So you're not going to have a sound person. Like your best bet is someone that knows how to do sound. Yeah. But realistically, you'll probably have to like teach them. If you don't know, I guess YouTube it. Um, don't pay for locations pretty much ever. Unless you have twenty five, unless you have $100,000 or more, you should not be paying for locations. Hmm. You can either be writing your script around locations you have access to um, or planning on stealing them and getting kicked out three-fourths of the way through finishing huh. uh, your scenes, which is, you know. Love it. It's funny. Do a couple takes. Get it. Run away. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, don't bring a camera. Just uh, use whatever camera you have. If it's an iPhone, then like brand it as a shot on iPhone thing. And people. Yes. I did that years ago. I, I as soon as the new iPhone came out, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, I got some friends together. I got the best actors I could find. One of them has gone on to do Roots and big TV shows. Jesus. Um, mm. And we shot this whole thing on an iPhone. We shot. Um, in Long Beach for two days um, and we shot I, I wanted uh, it was called Lonely Sidecar and it featured a, a side a motorcycle and a sidecar and that typically would be expensive I got on Meetup I found a Meetup for sidecars I messaged the Meetup two people said they were willing to do it one of them wanted a lot of money the other one said just pay me gas money to Long Beach drove oh, yes. his trailer with the sidecar on it down my actor didn't know how to drive a, a motorcycle the, I, the day of filming, the whole like, the whole first Love half, you motorcycle yeah. around. The, fir the first day of filming, I didn't have an actor or a, a stunt double to drive the motorcycle. And the apartment I lived in at the time, I saw my neighbor. She was with this guy, and he pulled up on a motorcycle. And I was like, Heather, I need your boyfriend for a movie. And he yes. came, like, he's white. My lead actor was black. And like, if you look close, you could like see a little bit of like. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's the point. Like, pay for nothing. Pay for nothing. People will help you. They want to help you. They want to help you make your movie. If you have like, if it's original, if you have an idea that's worth a damn, and if you have a vision and passion for it, people will move mountains. They will drive two hours one way to drop off a sidecar for you. So only pay for food and like the bare equipment Love essentials it. that you don't have and sound remember is even more important than picture so that's a big one dude and that is just so true that's so true um i will watch a you know short film on film on vimeo that's on sticks in a parking lot and it has like the best sound design and i'm intrigued i'm hooked and yeah. it would be like a five minute long film and then it ends and I'm like, wait, what just happened? Like this thing was shot in a freaking parking lot and I was hooked like it was like the beginning of Saw or something. It was so freaking good. So Years ago, I went to Adam Epstein's tour and he's the SNL editor for SNL's digital shorts and he breaks down his whole process and everything. The most important thing I took away is he played a shot from Pacific Rim 
regular. You're like, okay, sounds good, looks good. He played the same audio with awful picture. And you're like, mm, kind of hard to see, but like, sure, I'll keep watching it. He played the four full K video with awful audio and you couldn't watch it. It was unwatchable. And it shows you that like sound is more than 50% picture because it can ruin a good movie. I couldn't agree more. Like I genuinely could not agree more. Let me look at one more from the director's POV. How do you find investors? I think we kind of talked about it. Um, yeah, I think we kind of talked about it. So, I mean, you know, and in today's, you know, age, like I feel like if you're making a film, you're sort of like a producer, director, and many different things. Um, so I think I'm just going to say on Indiegogo, Kickstarter, these are great places. If you know someone, like I said, I mean, start with your power base. I think it's so freaking important. You'll be surprised. You can just go to your freaking brother and he can go, yeah, I mean, I'll pitch in freaking 1500 bucks and there you go. You know, compared to like, go ahead. I mean, my brother gave 3000 to finish my Kickstarter <laughs> off um, when we were close. And it's just like, you know, dropping the bucket to some people. And, That's insane. Um, so yeah. That's insane. Let's talk about a little bit. I want to talk, so, you know, short film and making it on a budget. And I think that's a great mindset because I'm going to have to agree with you. And I sometimes find myself in that world where I'm like, man, I need a camera that shoots raw. Then the next thing is usually I need a lens that shoots, you know, at, you know, one four. And then the next thing is like, I need these lights that are not CRI 95. I really want them to be 98.5. And then the next thing is when I bring it into Resolve, I mean, my TV is getting kind of old. I want this new $7,000 TV. And then the next thing is like, I don't want to keep grading in Rec 709. I want to start doing HDR, you know, and Asus and all those other things. So like it doesn't stop. And then what happens is that week or two weeks will go by and I do nothing and I'm just, you know, scrolling through randomly on Netflix and watching some random stuff, you know. So I think it's so important for people to understand what you just said. And it kind of like hit me, you know, hard. It makes so much sense. And it was so simple that literally come in with the mindset of like you will spend zero dollars. And I think that's where the invention is going to happen. That's where something crazy is going to happen. So that is ultimately very, very true. And it's just one of those things that we always talk about it. So people probably just hear it and they're, you know, they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot something with an iPhone, but you're out there shooting with red. And I'm here, you know, shooting with Blackmagic Pocket, you know, uh, 6K. But ultimately, it's going to come down to that. And I think another very valuable thing you said is sound. And... Uh, those are really like the freaking important takeaways. I'm like so happy that you're hitting, like you're bringing those points up because that's really the difference between somebody who's done that, you know, such as yourself and like talking based on experience than like, you know, spending tons of time on newsshooter.com and like, you know, just reading and then like just reiterating, you know. I really do, now that I feel like we got some of that out of the way, um, talking about budgeting and things like that, how to even attack it, um, I do want to do some extra credit and talk about uh, creative process a little bit. You know, so many people are kind of stuck because, um, you know, if you're working with limited budget, then the feasibility of like locations or this and that sometimes could be crippling. And then, you know, you kind of just go, hey, I want a freaking jet, but now I have to work with a motorcycle. Like, how does that fit into my story? So I kind of want to ask you when you're writing, um, 
how do you approach that or is it like just natural like when you started start writing a script you just know that you're going to keep the person in a freaking room because that's all you know you can get yeah well when i first wrote missionary kids it was called bus 7 and the entire film took place on a school bus full of children and it went through 5 days of the week uh either in the morning driving to school or in the afternoon coming back from school and it was this sort of like tableau of experiences and it was just like moments and memories on the bus and um uh, it was we budgeted out we got kind of like far down the producing rabbit hole and it was going to cost around like 15,000 and um we weren't really going to have access to the actors we needed um it was going to be a production nightmare that many kids filming on a bus that's moving is a production headache you should do that on a green screen in a studio for safety and efficiency and cost and but we didn't have that we were going to shoot in rural Oklahoma and because of that that led me down really looking at the script and saying what is the story i'm trying to tell what's the theme of this because here's what the, i want the theme to be brotherhood is you know the struggling brotherhood and like the bond of it and how sometimes that bond isn't strong enough and that was like that isn't really coming through like this is definitely my experience the bus was a big part of my growing up but this isn't really telling that story i want to tell so i was like okay we need one location uh we wow. have to have a really good ending that's a call back to the beginning um there has to be something dramatic that happens there has to be something else that catalyzes that drama um and this you know has to be four actors or less um you know you can't go booking all these actors and extras extras is actually one of the most expensive parts of filmmaking and it's even cost prohibitive for movies like mission impossible you know hmm. mission impossible only had 150 extras which is going to cost you around $50,000 or so wow. they for one of these big shots of tom cruise running they had to pack all the extras in and shoot with a long lens to make the hall look full even at that level you think yeah, yeah. money no it's always a problem and extras is usually one of them so i mean i don't know if that answers the question but That's like great. usually the story you know just figure it out <laughs> Again, I'm going to say it. I mean, he's not paying me for it, but you guys do have to go on his page and find where you can see uh Missionary Kids because that's all I got from it, you know? The all those things because I did not care about if the kitchen was clean or dirty. I did not care about like if they had the perfect hair light, you know, I did not care about any of that. I was, you know, at times holding back tears, you know, like when I'm hearing the, you know, dad on the other side and i'm just like holy shit man like i mean i've i've never experienced this i'm not you know i i haven't been raised in that kind of like family but the empathy was created by you so those decisions you know that decision making is what makes a great director and ultimately a great film so that's insane um ethan like just one of the things that i'm reading right now ethan said that hey i want to upgrade to pocket 6k but i've been you know finding more and more potential in my GH5 and I think it's making me a better filmmaker and dude this is what we're talking about that's exactly what we're talking about like once you just go this is all I got how can I get the most juice out of it like sure I'm using a $3000 resolve panel but resolve also makes another one that's $33000 don't you think that 
is going to be better than what I have. I know for a fact that it will be, but I actually feel like I may have not even tapped the full potential of like this device. So I'm going to keep using it, you know? Totally. That's the thing. And like, you know, when you're ready for that next level, it'll be there. Yes. You know, I, I shot on the red really early on and I did it just to, to blow my load and be all cool and like tell everyone that I shot on a red. And well, it worked. Like people were impressed, but the movie freaking sucked. And after that, it was years until I shot on a red again. And you know, it's it's not about the camera. It's you know, a GH five is a perfectly good camera. Basically, if anything that shoots four K at this point, um, I can't remember who it is that says the best camera is the one you have on you. So if that's GH five, you know, power to you. I mean, come on, man. Like, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Ezra, but like, you know, when we went to school, Dana and I, like we had back in the day, like, I don't know if you ever used like Panasonic DVX 100 or those yeah. like video cameras. So we're coming from that, man. Come on. We had to throw like a 35 millimeter adapter, you know, those long tubes. Yes. Yeah. So the Lotus. Lotus. Yeah. So that's what I had. The Lotus 35 X, like, I don't even know, Excel or whatever. You know, so we're coming from those days, you know, and then what we got nowadays, I mean, GH5, oh my God, man, it's a freaking amazing camera, you know? Um, and, you know, lighting is so key, too. If you just throw up any camera in bad lighting, it's going to look bad. If you light a GH5 and an Alexa, they're both going to look pretty sweet. So, I mean, you know, take some time to figure out lighting. And also, lighting is such a great investment. Um, if you make a lot of films on a consistent basis... Um, or want to even, you can buy great lights for a hundred dollars. You know, you can buy really, really good lights for five hundred, a thousand dollars. And I know I say a thousand dollars like that's not a lot of money to some people. It is, but the thing is, if you are disciplined with your money and the way you spend it, and are responsible, and you don't go, you know, buying tons of like booze and always going out to eat and like living it up like crazy. If you literally prioritize your love for cinema and filmmaking over like pleasures and luxuries then like you'll find plenty of money laying around to put into buying a light kit you know the airy light kit which can use tungsten or daylight with some gels and you'll find your content really uh, improving i could not agree more and i'm also gonna say so many people out there are like you know love my studio there's probably zero things actually the iMac Pro is the only thing that's brand new and that was because I was impatient and it came out just like right around that time and I was like, I want it, so I got it. Every single thing in my room is used and I'm so loud and proud about it because otherwise I wouldn't have the car that I have if I would have paid freaking full price for everything that's in the studio. Totally. So another, we, we haven't even talked about this, but another way we're similar. I don't buy anything. My iMac Pro is also brand new, uh, which... Uh, you know, we love those things. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. got them when they just came out. You couldn't even get them used. But, right. Um, everything else is second. What, what, my Pocket Cinema 6K is also new, but that was when it came out. But I got a second camera, which is the 4K, which I bought used. Because I'm like, dude, there's no point in buying a brand new version of this. Like all my glass, everything. And especially glass. Never buy new glass. Ah, unless like the whole components fall apart. Yes. You need to go out and buy a $2,000, $2,500 lens when you get the same thing for 1500 or 1200 No way, dude. So like Canon, you know, now we're just like t like having a conversation about whatever. People will still get something out of it. But 
uh, what one time I just made so much money I didn't know what the hell to do with it so I'm like I'm gonna go in and just buy cine glass like I wasn't even shooting anything I'm like I just want cine glass so I'm like I want the CNE like you know Canon primes and I picked up a 24 mil and a 50 mil um, and you know they go for about 42 4300 dollars each dude I picked them up for 22 and 2500 on eBay and they were brand new and then a month later, I was not, you know, possessed anymore. And I said, what the hell was I thinking? This was stupid. So I sold both of them for around 3300 each. You know? Amazing. But you get what I'm saying? It's like people don't understand. People are so confused. They're just like, dude, I want the panel, but I don't know. I don't want to spend the money. I was like, what's the problem? One, you can get it on Amazon and then return it. Two, you can get it used and use it for a year and sell it and barely lose any money. And you know, if you bought it used and you sell it, you'll probably like lose hundred or two hundred bucks. Wouldn't you pay two hundred bucks for a year to like rent a panel? You know, if you think about it that way. No, it's insane. When you think about it in terms of rentals, you know, I bought an entire Sony set a couple of years ago, broken on Sony Primes and the A7S, uh, the Ninja Flame Recorder, whatever Pelican, uh, all that used sold all of it recently when I switched over to Black Magic and I calculated that it cost me less than thousand dollars. It was a thousand dollars difference from when I bought it twice and sold it. So it cost me less than a grand to rent all of it there for two years, three years maybe I, I can't remember, but yeah, I mean, it's insane. No dude. That, that doesn't even count the money I made renting it off on ShareGood. Oh my God. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, that, dude, I got to bring you on for those things too. I don't want to get everybody confused like us talking about that, but I feel like it's very close. These two things are very close, right? So, I mean, making a short film with like zero to like, you know, very low budget. Also, that thrift, like that thrifty mentality goes a very long way because you kind of need that. You need to graduate from that school to make short films with like zero dollars or thousand dollars because I feel like if you don't get this, if you don't have this foundation, this is gonna be like a freaking la la land and like rocket science to you. Like nothing is gonna stick. When you start from zero dollars and, and the ground up and you beg, borrow and steal or, or you literally have a zero dollar film, um, when you have a hundred thousand dollar film, it's gonna look like a million dollar film because if you keep that mindset, you know, I was an office PA years ago on a feature film, and they I got laid off because they ran out of money. A bunch of people lost their jobs. And the guy, I'm not going to put him on blast here, but he's like a big, rich guy. He's the son of a massive chain of stores, and he put $3 million into the movie, and we all ran, we ran out of money somehow because he didn't start from the school of hard knocks. Yes always having money in the bank account or whatever. But when you start from that, and then you know how to get stuff for cheap later on, your money just goes further, your product looks better, people wanna give you more money. Dude, I don't wanna, I don't wanna like uh, go too far, but I mean, you heard what happened to MPC, right? Like uh, MPC Vancouver, I believe, like they recently went bankrupt. I don't know if you heard about it. But I mean, these guys, these guys are mammoths, right? These guys are huge. They work on like Disney films and they, what the movie that took them down, think about this. So the budget for The Lion King was around 275 million and Disney locked them in um, at a flat rate. 
So they expected to put in, let's say, four months, eight hours a day, five days a week, which turned very quickly into 16-hour days round the clock, uh, seven days a week. So they were in like for a flat fee. And you know how those agencies and those companies work. They work with freelancers. So they're going to pay them no matter what. So they were paying them. It ended up taking six or seven months instead of four months, 16-hour days instead of eight-hour days, weekends included, so OT and all that. So uh, the movie was made under $275 million. The movie went on as of now, yesterday when I checked, is sitting at around $1.8 billion worldwide gross, and MPC went out of business. Now, that right there is that thrifty mentality that Disney has. You know, don't you think Disney can go, oh, sure, we'll just go over and it could be 600 million because we know we're going to make more. So even at that level. People who are succeeding in this business are doing that. I mean, Disney's notorious for doing it. HBO is notorious for being thrifty about their budgets. But if you can bring, you know, they say Clint Eastwood always brings his movies in on, on time and under budget. And that's the reason he's still making movies. That's people insane. Don't love them, they don't make a lot of money. They're on time and under budget. And if you can do that, if you can not have to go back and say, oh, look, we ran out of money, we're over budget, we have to lay people off, people are going to love you for it, even if your content suffers. So if you're not a great filmmaker, just be on time and under budget. <laughs> be easy to work with. Ezra, I got one more thing for you. Um, I do want to ask you, so so many people are just like, we want to make short films, we want to do what we love, we have a full-time job, we hate it, um, because what we want to do is just do our thing and make short films. You get to make short films, you get to run your own company. Um, I want you to kind of give a piece of advice to those people. How can they do both, but happily not be miserable about it? How did you do it? Uh, well, first of all, choose joy, you know, choose to not be miserable. Happiness is a choice. Um, and uh, beyond that, you know, um, you're pretty much going to have to have a source of income to pay your bills, you have rent, you have food. So while you have that in the meantime, you know, make films on the side, your passion projects on the weekend. Uh, writing is free. Writing is a great place to start. And if you have ideas that are too expensive to film, write it up and um, I mean the other thing is uh, you know if you can find ways to make money with video sometimes it can translate or if you have a side hustle in addition to your day job maybe it's wedding videos maybe it is corporate videos or small business promos maybe that money goes to your short films uh, maybe you can self finance a movie for $500 or $1,000 or save up for a few months and pay for you know five thousand dollars of a movie um you know i and some, sometimes people think oh well if i just had this job in a post-production facility or if i could just get on set you know that's that's not the answer and a lot of times the answer is as some of my filmmakers have friends have found out the answer is a job that actually uh has less to do with creativity because uh, then you're maximizing it and leveraging it so you know working a nine-to-five job as a bank teller or uh, maybe something that pays good. You're sort of a manager, but you know you don't take work home with you. That's still like you know not answering your question. That still has a day job. You know how do you get away from that? I don't know. If you do what you if you do what you love um, every day, then you'll never work a day in your life. 
I have to agree with you that, first of all, I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with a full-time job. I just do not think that. Um, I, w when I was going to film school, I was working two jobs. One, as a security officer, like literally holding doors for people, and then once they would leave the building at 5 o'clock, I would watch Fight Club every night for a whole year and just take notes, you know? And then two, um, I was uh, a host at a restaurant. So it's like I was not miserable. I was just picking up on whichever, whatever skills and I was just looking at it. What can I learn from this? I suck at it so bad. I sucked at both of those things. And I was just like, man, if I suck at these, like I just, even then I just kind of had humility. I was like, if I suck at these, how the hell am I going to do anything else in life? So I looked at it from that perspective and just kind of even tried to thrive. Actually, I was like employee of the month as a security officer, which my mom still had it in. She has it in her room. She's so proud of it. And, you know, it's amazing. Um, but I just feel like you said it. You said it so nonchalantly, but it's like it's a choice. And I think if somebody is paying attention what it really means is that once you free yourself of that burden, um, then you're creative. Then you're going to find those little pockets and, you know, that little window where you're going to do something that's going to come back around. Maybe after a decade or something, and you're going to be like, holy hell, it happened then. You know, like, um, I have this intense, intense style in my editing and uh, the sound design and all that that I do. And that came from Fincher. And that goes back to Fight Club. And that goes back to Seven. And even my grading, a lot of it has that undertone like teal and orange. But like not like a transformer teal and orange. Not even orange. But mostly like in the shadows and in the mid-tones. I use like a lot of like bluish teal. And that's also, you know, and then in my highlights, I will push them towards yellow. Like almost sickly yellow sometimes. And that's coming from Fincher too. So it's like I'm inspired by it. And that all happened at that security job. So I can't just go that was a waste totally. and you know yeah and it's also the passion you talked about people you were saying you know getting people to invest in you people see that passion in you like you were saying you saw the passion in missionary kids um you know if you have something that you love just chase after doing it um and i mean i've been at it for 11 years now and i'm only now really starting to feel like i see progress like not only are my films better um, but like people are acknowledging them and want to be a part of the process in a larger capacity. So, I mean, if you're passionate about something, just chase after it and people will follow that passion. And the biggest thing about you and many others that I know is that so many people talk about it. So many people do like this big talk and something that they're working on or whatever. And it's not even, they don't even make excuses. So I'm not even going to put them in that category that if I had this or that or the other thing. But the thing that I feel like for me that separates you and I thought to myself that you were the perfect person to talk about this topic is, you know, you're having a freaking baby. You have like things going on. But when we see it from the outside in, nothing is just like changing. You're still on it. You're still doing it. And I think, you know, the, the word of the decade, you know, f this new decade for me is consistency. And it just... It, it really is that thing. You said 11 years, right? But never once have I sat down with you and talked to you and you complained and bitched and moaned and said how much it sucks and you're about to quit or any of that, you know? So really, ultimately what it is is that 
you you're on this you're a man with a mission you know you got you have you have this mission and you're going with it and then you know it's like one thing you're chipping at it you know one thing at a time and somebody who's looking at it like me looking at your trajectory is seeing man i'm seeing some sh you know shit going down like i'm seeing this and this is amazing and i'm you know you're getting my buy in every day so ultimately those 11 years like you can't skip those 11 years and do something huge today like you needed that you know to build that momentum and to be at this point get obsessed get possessed that's the mantra <laughs> <laughs> you know it um brother do you want to add anything else i mean i think we said it all i'll give my tags you know follow me on instagram hit me up on vimeo um Ezra, where can we see Missionary Kids uh, for Vimeo? Just like spell it out. Tell us. Um, it's currently not on Vimeo okay. because of film festival submission, but uh, it's probably going to be on Vimeo in the next week or two. Um, if you really, really want to see it and you want this video, DM me and I will send you uh, a private online screener and a password. It's worth it. It's worth every freaking cent. And guys, check out his stuff. Follow him genuinely. The dude is just a freaking machine. He just goes, goes, and goes. Doesn't matter. And he has a super adorable freaking kid. So you got to check that out. And his stories are amazing. Ezra, thank you so much for joining me, brother, and joining us. Thank you. It's been incredible. All right, man. Yeah. Thanks, brother. All right. Have a good one. You too. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel, and I will see you in the next episode.